Hello, and welcome to New Jersey is the World. Hi, everybody. Chris Gathard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the World. So excited for you to hear this episode. Also so excited to say thanks to everybody who's been buying our t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash Chris Gethard. We got the What Would Bruce Do shirt on there. We got the, the New Jersey is the World logo and a whole bunch more. Good stuff. Thanks to everybody. And of course, thanks to everybody signing up at the Patreon. A lot of good stuff happens at the Patreon. This Thursday, August 26th, New Jersey, the role-playing game, it returns. Follow the quest of a, a gang of adventurers who have recently linked up with the Pine Baroness as they now try to visit... A number of mysterious stones spread throughout New Jersey. The whole thing's very strange, but it's very fun and, and a really good time. Sign up at the Patreon. You come hang out. You check it out. Anyway, the Cold War informed everything growing up, and it really altered the infrastructure of New Jersey, not, not just uh, emotionally on us as all Cold War kids experience, but the actual physical infrastructure of our state. A lot to it. A lot to this one. I think you're going to like it. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Woetown, a division of New Jersey is the world. This is a podcast where three friends who went to high school and college together hang out and talk about New Jersey. Why? We don't need to explain it. We just like it, and I don't really feel like I need to justify myself at the top of the show. Anyway, Mike D., how are you doing tonight? I feel pretty grateful. I did survive being lost in the woods outside of Brown's Mills this weekend, and I made it back alive, and here I am to podcast. Congrats. Not everybody can uh, Not everybody could say the same looking for Brown's Mills. Nikki Bonaduce, so sorry to interrupt over there. How are you feeling tonight? I'm feeling pretty good, but to say to Mike D, you're just lucky you didn't get lost in Brown Mills, like not where the trees were, where the people were. Because that would have been a much more disturbing experience. And if anybody knows Brown Mills, they'll know that. It was pretty disturbing. Yeah. For for all the, for our entire, because I think you've heard on a prior episode, if you've been listening to our show, I think we've explained this, that there's a legendary sentence amongst our group of friends, which is, how do you get to Brown's Mills? Which... How do you get to Brown's Mills? That's, I've had that thought, that is a thing that makes me laugh I, it at least gets a smile out of me when I think about it. For 15 years now, and to this day, personally, I've never been. Never been. Did you ever actually make it to Browns Mills, Mike T? Oh, well, Browns Mills is like a depressing area because it's outside like uh, Fort Dix. And it's like kind of like this bastion for uh, soldiers and cheap motels, like a lot of like... People living off base. It's really economically kind of depressed. It's like it's like a depressing kind of like rural area. Wow, you just used the word depressed four times in the same paragraph. That's how I feel. But you are close. You're not too far from um, Columbus Market if you can get over to 206. So that's a happy place. All right, that's Burlington County. Yeah. Now, if you've been listening to our show over time, you know that what we do is we effectively tell stories. We shoot the shit about Jersey. Things come up, tangents, sidetracks. We pick different <laughs> topics. There's a lot of nostalgia. There's a lot of venting about how bizarre it was growing up when we did, where we did. And uh, tonight's episode, Mike D, this was your idea, and I think it's a great one because when you think about New Jersey... Um, you think about a place, but we also very often dwell on the time that we grew up, which was you guys were born later 70s. I was born 1980. So we're firmly 80s into the mid 90s as far as our upbringing. And when you think about the time of that in New Jersey, New Jersey in that era, we are the last of the Cold War kids. 
Are we are we solidly X Gen kids? All of us. I'm I'm what they call an Xennial. What the fuck is that? That's like you're the crossover. There's like a handful. You guys are Gen X. The people a couple years older than me are Gen X. The people a couple years younger than me are solid millennial. And I'm in this very, very weird thing that they study now called Xennial, where it's like... It makes sense, though. And a lot of it has to do with the internet, right? Like You're not quite cool enough to be us, and not quite loserish enough to be the other people. Yes. I wasn't all cynical and listening to the lemon heads, <laughs> um, but I, I also wasn't listening. I was, I was listening to NSYNC with irony. You weren't buying brass knuckles out of Boy's Life magazine, or you may have been doing, doing that. Th- you were doing that. But you were also riding the lightning there on the other side. That's that's what it was. I think that's the defining thing. Is I was young and right. I was I was I was buying brass knuckles at the Rude Eighteen <laughs> flea market. There you go. But then was still into buying. Uh, I still bought a Manriki chain off of www.tigerstrike.com when you guys had probably outgrown buying Manriki chains. So that's well. A lot of what they say is it's the Oregon Trail generation. Is that um, is that I. People my exact age had Apple IIEs in their classrooms in elementary school and were firmly on the World Wide Web by the time they graduated high school. And that's a very small window of people who had both. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think I'm at like the very tail end of remembering how terrifying the Cold War was. I think even just being two and a half, three years older than me, you guys probably even have a firmer grip on how terrifying it was. And I remember being completely terrified as a child that Russians would get me. Let's speak to this. I remember, so there's all that bullshit from like the 50s, like duck and cover and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And like, I'm firmly like Cold War kid. I grew up like fucking uh, our our parents or friends or people that were our parents' ages were coming from the Vietnam War. That was the war that our generation's parents fought. Um, there was this very real... Um, it's funny when we got to the eighties, like people started to finally feel comfortable about talking about Vietnam and sharing those experiences. And they're trying to like maybe heal a wound in our country. So there was a lot of war movies associated with Vietnam. And like, I think that made an impression on kids like us. And at the same time, we were still, we were still living the same war that our parents lived, which was the cold war was this always threat of, uh, nuclear weapons, submarines and nuclear weapons. And like, as we got older, we were watching movies that were all associated with that. And like, we have submarines off of their coast. They have submarines off our coast. There's missiles in every country. We grew up near missile bases. Like, and then I remember one day I'm sitting down with my uncle who was kind of an oddball and like kind of shot the fuck out, but always told me how it really was. He goes, Nikki, let me tell you something. He goes, that duck and cover stuff. He goes, it doesn't fucking make a difference. He says, where we are, we're within the flash. He's like, you don't have to worry about anything. You're going to be dead. So like that actually gave me a little solace. But <clears throat> as far as being a Cold War kid, yeah, I grew up watching fucking Red Dawn. I still love guns because I think Russians and fucking commies are going to come out of the fucking sky. And hey, why don't you be fucking prepared just in case? I'd rather not get caught with my fucking pants down. Um, and... I don't know, like believing in that survivability of like, we're still Americans. Um, you know, it's, it's always this hidden enemy of whatever sort it might be of, uh, either terrorism or nuclear, uh, destruction that, you know, will rip us fucking apart as uh, people. But like, yeah, no, firmly a fucking cold war kid praying for fucking 
praying for commies to be coming out of the sky at any moment just to have a reason to pull the trigger, you know? That's that's definitely that defines me for sure. <laughs> Mike, do your memories as a as a young person of Russia's influence on your daily life. I mean, I think my dominant thoughts until I went through puberty and my dominant thoughts went somewhere else was of being nuked and attacked by Russians. I think probably 75% of my thoughts growing up were fear of at any second, like Nick said, that communists would drop from the sky and attack us, that we would, because we <laughs> live so close to New York City, that, that we would be nuked, that everywhere you walked, like any building with any substantial architecture had a, a fallout shelter sign on it. And once I asked an adult what that was, and they explained what that was to me, I, everywhere I went, I was constantly looking for those signs just in case, because I thought I'd need to run down into the, the basement of, a, of the Our Lady of the Valley Church in Orange to, to save myself. Um, it was everywhere. And then, then there was the opposite side of it, which Nick was talking about, where I think everything we watched and consumed revolved around teaching American children to fight communism. And I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. Every single thing that we consume. Everything. Everything. I would be I would actually not be shocked at all to find out the US government was funding most of the children's entertainment I I consumed. Well, thank God. Growing up. Now I you might be listening to this, you might be going, well, yeah, you know, there's a lot of Cold War kids. This is an expression that doesn't just apply to New Jersey. Why would this show up on a New Jersey podcast? Because one thing that is inescapable and that a lot of us didn't even realize growing up, A, because we were too young, and B, because oftentimes it was top secret, the proximity to New York City meant that New Jersey was a real pressure cooker. And now, Nick, you mentioned your uncle. I actually had the opposite. And this is not an exaggeration at all. I promise you this. When I was in third grade, third grade, you're what, eight years old? You turned yeah, maybe nine? Eight, eight, in the nine, yeah. Our teacher, I will never forget, went on this monologue that was just so... First of all, this was a man who broke. He, he broke. He had transferred into the West Orange school system. <laughs> he had a reputation. I think he had transferred from, from uh, Pleasantdale to Redwood and... Redwood was a pretty soft school. So for some reason, he had this reputation as being this great teacher, and we broke him. My class broke him. I watched him flip out a number of times. And he once went on this very sad, defeated monologue where he told us the opposite, Nick. He said, um, you know, West Orange, we're, we're, um, if, they, if they nuke New York City, it's probably one of the worst places you can be because we're just far enough away that you'll only get third-degree burns and you'll have to live with that. Bullshit. Um, he said, he said, he said, we'll be covered in burns, but we won't die. And he would name names. No fucking he'd go, way. He'd go, yeah, even just a few towns closer. The people in Clifton, they'll get that merciful death. Belleville, they'll die. They'll die. But it's not even that. It's like, you're so fucking close for like, let's say by some fucking miracle, you don't have your skin burnt off your fucking body and you're still able to like <laughs> somehow function. Like the secondary fucking radiation that's contaminated every fucking thing else, including the fucking air, the particulate matter, anything you touch, anything that has been exposed to the, the explosion. The half-life isn't like it was during fucking World War II. This shit fucking hangs around for like, you know, oh, it's like, oh, it's got a 900-year fucking half-life. Okay, so 900 fucking years. 
Okay, 900 fucking years before you can inhabit that space again. So I go, now, Nick, fuck if you got third degree burns or not. Nick, You're going to be fucking dead in like two weeks. Your teeth are going to be falling out of your fucking Nick. head. You're going to be in fucking pain. <laughs> like, you know, I survived from blast. And I'm worried about toilet polymer anymore. But, Jesus Christ, I wish I was just fucking dying already. The fuck did you just... What did you say about a toilet bowl? They say, I don't care about toilet paper anymore because I don't have to wipe my ass because my body's just falling apart from the secondary radiation. No, Nick, I'm not arguing with that. Thank God I made it through the fucking flash. Nick, listen. Sorry. You're mad at me. I'm not not trying to debate the science. I'm trying to say that either way. (laughs) I'm mad at your teacher. I'm going to go find him and argue with him. But my point is to be eight or nine years old and have to even wonder to be out there playing kickball at lunch. Hey, you got to be fucking real with these kids. You should hear what I say to no, my kids. My son's eight years old. They tell them all kinds of terrible things to, about the world to be ready. For us to be out there at lunch recess going, I think the teacher's wrong. We're all going to die. Oh, no, we're just going to be bleeding from our fucking eyeballs. <laughs> oh, you probably oh, think that's funny if you're eight of, years some old. Some of us will be di- dead and the other will have to be digging the graves for the ones the ones who live will have to dig the graves. For the ones who, this is not something that an eight-year-old should be thinking about. And then, and, and the next thing Jersey, they would say would be hold is, on. Okay. I just, I just want to tie it in and, and really underline for people. This is why I think it is a New Jersey-centric thing. I think the relationship to the cities, I think Philly and New York City, when we get older, you start to find out that as they're declassified and decommissioned from use as the Cold War is over, there were actual nuclear missile sites spread throughout New Jersey. And we're not talking remote areas. We're talking... Everywhere. Suburban towns where... You might be a hundred yards from people's backyards. There's actual air defense missile systems all over the place. So I think that every child of the Cold War sat there thinking about their skin melting off and, and uh, their eyeballs exploding into nuclear cloud flames. Yeah. But, but we knew, man, we're right near the target because Congress might be in D.C., but we all knew they don't want to take out D.C., man. They want to take out New York fucking city. That's what they see. They see that skyline in the movies. That's right. And look, 9-11 proved that true. Sadly enough, that's the big symbol, right? We all sat there thinking every day, I hope I don't have, I don't, I hope I don't like have nuclear fucking diarrhea as my last, I don't, I hope I just don't watch my body melt from the bottom up. I hope that I, I hope I melt from the head down. One of my New Jersey Cold War in our backyard memories actually came from from Uncle Nick, from your uncle. Nick, so I used to spend a fair bit of time with Nick and his uncle Nick, and we were driving on 280, and I'll never forget this. And he, we're like little kids, we're probably 11 or 12, and he's driving, he turns around, he's like, look at that bridge, kids. Like, okay, and it's, you know, your standard highway overpass running over 280 in New Jersey. He's like, what, what do you think of that bridge? And I was like, I don't know. I don't, what do we know about bridges? Nothing. And he's like, look how strong that bridge is. He's like, what do you think that's for? And we're like, I don't know. So it doesn't fall down and crush any cars on 280. No, that's so they can drive mm. tanks across it. That entire infrastructure is built because they need to roll in tanks here in case the Russians come. Look how <laughs> overbuilt these bridges they are. Really you think it's to too. give people jobs? <laughs> it's to roll tanks in. And I'll never forget that, that you know all the infrastructure is built to support uh, military vehicles rolling into suburban areas. That always made an impression on me also. And like even especially now, like doing what I do. And like I think about that all the time. And I had actually... I'd met an inspector one time and I said to him, I was like, oh, I was like, 
you know, years ago, the philosophy was overbuild, um, overdesign for more than it's ever going to be able to handle, probably for situations like that. And now it's about pushing materials and um, and the design to the maximum like amount of tolerances that it can um, accommodate to a certain specification, not to be over-prepared for it. So that kind of concerns me in a way. And you see a lot of these um, newer systems, not really newer systems, but materials um, <clears throat> definitely don't. Like, I mean, work on bridges that are like 70 years old and all they do is lift the bridge up, change the bearings out and like maybe redo some of the steel and, and the decking. That's it. And like the original concrete is still curing from 80 years ago, you know? So like shit was just made better back in the day, but no, that's the truth. Like you have to be able to remove mechanized equipment and, you know, Nick, it does beg the question too. Have you ever been working? And the answer to this might be no. I might be reaching here, but I'm wondering: Are there ever situations where you're building in Jersey, working on the infrastructure, and all of a sudden, like the job site gets a stop order, and it's like, "What's this about?" And the supervisor, like, I don't know, government or military, some shit, some secret shit, they need us to reroute or do this a different way. Like, is that? They're still thinking about that, I'm sure, right? No, it's a really. If something happens on a job where they do something like that, would have like number one. Like, I'd probably fucking know because in the survey, I'd be like, hey, come on over here and shoot this real quick. We got to document this. And, like, that's usually how I got sucked and all that shit. But, um, no, I mean, unless they, like we said, unless they, unless you come upon, like, a burial ground or something like that, like, that's the only thing that's really, like, going to stop, like, a job. Or if you find a body, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think they find bodies sometimes, but it's just, like, sometimes, like, if you see the way they're working dirt and, you know, there's nothing obstructing them, like, they're going to dig like cowboys. And when you're moving that much dirt, like, the operator might see something, like, and you see stuff that comes up all the time. You're like, oh, my God, that looks like a femur. Like, oh, no, it's a cow femur because they were, like, I, we, when we were doing the, I was doing the fuel line, right? And the fuel line was filled with dredge from um, the Kilvan Coal right across the way in the Elizabeth Seaport. And that was like the airport was done like the you know late sixties to the seventies I believe. It was done by like seventy something, right? So they were backfilling and putting like dredge in there for years. Like we were going through areas when I was doing the fuel line, redigging it up, where there would be nothing but old glass bottles. Like for you know for like twenty feet, you would hit these like troughs of like certain kinds of trash, like vintage trash. So we we're constantly like coming across like weird stuff like that. But not not like I've never had like you know dead Vikings or anything like that. So. Never lucky enough. Okay. Oh, you know what's funny, okay. though? When they were doing the seawall along 35, they found, um, my old survey buddy Joe found this boat had been washed away and exposed, and there was, like, this cannon on the front of it. And, like, he, like, called somebody up. And, like, it's funny is they didn't stop the job. They just went there and, like, excavated it real quick and, like, put it in a museum or something or we're uh, getting it ready. But, no, nothing good. Like, the government comes in, like, we're shutting this job down. They'd be like, motherfucker, nobody's shutting this job down. Like, <laughs> you know. We, we are not staying late for anyone, including the United States Marine Corps. So we all lived in... We were in West Orange, Essex County. A lot of towns are like this. You walk up the mountain there. I mean, my my neighborhood, you turn, you walk up you walk up the hill a hundred yards, turn around, you see the skyline. And we all kind of knew in the back of our heads, this could be the death of us. That skyline oh. might be the reason that I am incinerated and disintegrated one day. Eagle Rock Reservation, beautiful view. No better way to taint that for children than telling them that that skyline is why they will die. Um, 
I'm wondering, did, did you guys know anybody, did you, did you know anybody growing up who had a fallout shelter? Did you know anybody who had nuclear plans? Were these things that were discussed? There was a, <clears throat> there was a family in West Orange um, that my brother was good friends with one of the kids, and they had a fallout shelter in their house. Um, and I don't know if it was there before they bought the house or they constructed it, but I do remember going down there once and being, one, extremely impressed because it was, you know, <clears throat> underground and concrete and filled with food and barrels of water. I mean, it was a serious operation. And then that immediately turned into me trying to convince my parents that we needed a fallout shelter. And considering that for most of my entire life, my family had a lawnmower with three wheels because my father refused to go to Rickles and spend $2 to buy a fourth wheel, I was not getting a fallout shelter. But I did continuously beg for one and insisted that we should have one of these as well. Nick, any experience? Did you know, did you know any kids who had a secret chamber under their house? No, I always wanted a secret chamber under my house, but... No, definitely couldn't finagle that one. Mike, you did find a uh, a pretty recent New Yorker article from from uh, 2020 about a guy who moved to West Orange and found a fallout shelter in his yard. Oh, that's cool. I believe um, <clears throat> the guy called David Mansfield, who is one of Bob Dylan's guitar players, <sighs> um, and and moved to West Orange and was like puttering around the yard in his new house. And and found a strange pipe, and he didn't know what it was, so he called the town, and the town got back to him and said, actually, very strangely, in the 1960s, you could get a planning permit for a fallout shelter, and that appears to be what is in your yard. And him and his kids, you know, busted it open, went down there, and they found an empty fallout shelter <clears throat> filled with crickets. That's awesome. And an overturned soda crate. But uh, so clearly people in the suburbs were building fallout shelters. I think they said in 1960s dollars, it was $150 to have one of these fallout shelters installed at your home. Yeah. Seems like a bargain. Cool. I didn't know anybody who had one, but I do remember... Uh, very clearly that Our Lady of Lords, which was the church, my neighborhood was kind of defined by this church being in the neighborhood. That's what you would call my neighborhood was Lords, And uh, the, the, the school building, the Our Lady of Lords school building had the fallout shelter symbols. So I, I do remember just kind of, and th the sad part is that faded into the background, right? I'd be like, oh, okay. Like if it goes down and I happen to be playing in the parking lot here at Lords, I can duck inside and probably be okay. Me and the nuns will survive. Um, but yeah, the neighborhood church three blocks from my house had the black, I, I mean, those are burned into our memory, right? Those black and yellow. You always saw them and just never paid attention to them, kind of. Because we, they were everywhere. And then we were also yeah. told, doesn't matter, you'll either die or be a mutant, one or the other. It's a great setup where Chris, 12-year-old Chris is trapped under Our Lady of the Lord's <laughs> Church during a nuclear conflagration. With all these nuns. With 12 nuns. Yeah, <laughs> and a priest who would later, uh, and, a pre and a priest whose name would later show up as a guy who used to bring kids down the Jersey Shore and get them all tipsy on the weekends so he could have some fun. That was also a thing at my neighborhood church oh my that God. I found out. The cool priest, there was that cool priest. Hey, kids. But see, man, I knew. I called bullshit, man. I called bullshit. My brother was an altar boy. I knew from the start. I don't like this. I don't like this. I did. That confession shit, man, I did that one time. My first confession was my last confession. I'm like, I'm not going to tell some guy in a booth 
Every time I fondle my fucking nuts, man. Some things are best kept private. What are you talking about? I call it, I call it bullshit on the weirdness of Catholicism early. Forgive me, Father, for I play with myself constantly. Yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. Um, there was a nuclear missile base in Livingston, very close to us. There was a companion one in East Hanover. East Hanover, I believe, still has a road called Nike Road because this missile system was known as the Nike Missile System. I think there were 13 in North Jersey looking out for New York, 13 in South Jersey looking out for Philly. I might be wrong on that, but from my weird New Jersey days, that's what I remember. But um, one of the first episodes of this show, we talked about uh, you guys harassing hippies and my brother destroying my mom's car. That was at a former missile base. There was another one in Nutley, um, I was just reading up on it today in anticipation of this. The one in Nutley had active, like, they practiced as if there was an active Russian plane attack every single day. That's how much they were convinced that a New York attack was happening, that they had drills every day at high priority in Nutley, New Jersey. Now, for anybody who has not passed through uh, North Jersey, Nutley and Livingston, these are not farmlands. These are not places where this stuff is hidden. These are about as cliche, overpacked New Jersey suburbs as you can get. I mean, Nutley is, yeah, Nutley is a really nice, dense little suburb. I know, I know where the one in Nutley was. Um, and in my mind, if they, if they were to have to shoot a missile from that site in Nutley, they would literally be shooting it over, like, you know, Joey Goombatz's backyard as he's out there, like, having his after-work, you know, beer. His after-work Michelob. Because, there, you know, I mean, it's it, there's no open space where these things are. And I think Riker Hill was like that, too. I mean, Riker Hill in Livingston had a little more space, but, I mean, it was maybe a quarter of a mile at the most from the nearest house, right? It wasn't very secluded at all. Right. I think it was more like of a of an elevation thing of, like, where are they? And, like, if you notice, like, where you are on that hill, you have, like, a good exposure to, like, the um, a certain direction in the sky where everything's very open. So you have a longer area for the missile to be able to take off. Because I believe those were surface-to-air missiles, right? They were for an air threat. Mm-hmm. Yep. So surface to air is like a totally different thing, but like yeah, it's always better to have a little bit more more like room. But like the fact of the matter is, they're shooting those either directly up or like on an angle. But like they were in the middle of like suburban neighborhoods. And the Riker Hill one is a little more desolate than some of the other ones we're talking about. But a lot of that is also because that was on land that was owned by the Boyardo family, which is a very very infamous North Jersey mafia family. And uh, there's this big estate, and Life Magazine in the 60s did a whole photo essay on this estate because they had these weird painted statues, which you can go look at those pictures, and they're freaky. Um, but the government basically stepped in and said to the Boyardos, hey, we need to be able to pre- protect New York. Can you do you know, your patriotic duty? And it's a cliche that we all know from the mafia movies, right, is that the <laughs> mafia is strangely patriotic at times. And uh, Boyardo said, cool, we'll donate a chunk of our land to you. So that's really the only reason it was even desolate by Livingston standards was because it was this family that owned a ridiculous amount of land because they were isolating themselves because of their mob family ties. And then also (laughs) the government, this fucking ungrateful government, immediately had FBI posted out there spying on the Boyardos who had just tried to step up and save America, man. Do you remember, too, when you you would go up to Riker Hill, which we used to do all the time, and you could actually walk across the top of the silo doors, which were, right, so the silo doors were set to the ground, and they were a big 
you know, flat. Actually, at this point, they were concreted over. But to walk from one side to the other of the of the silo, I mean, it was at least 25 yards. These things, and that was just the opening where the missile came out of. They were absolutely massive. And this was all right set in just this very desirable, <laughs> somewhat Tony suburban neighborhood in Essex County. Oh, yeah. It's all like super. And they got the radio tower up there. I think that's got to still be there. When we were kids, you'd go up there, still be, you'd see the radio tower. They left a bunch of the military equipment sitting up there. It's probably being used. You'd be surprised. Like the one in West Orange, just like if you look along that ridge, line in west orange and that whole that whole area there's a, these transmitters that like everybody in this area like or in that area like uh uses for transmissions even now to this day i um i also love the sandy hook if any everybody knows uh if you've ever been to sandy hook which is you know our national park and there's a series of beaches on it you can drive deep into it beach g is of course gunnison nude beach uh one of the great places of new jersey when you drive through, you still to this day pass all the setups they had for, because uh, it's a great view. When you're out there on Gunnison Nude Beach, you're not just looking at the uh, the exposed genitalia of many generations of New Jersey residents who like living free. You're also seeing a pretty fantastic view. You can see Coney Island from out there. You can see all sorts of stuff. So really wide open look at New York. And they're, they they still have a lot of the old missile stuff and um, all that equipment that was hidden back there. Just sitting there. You drive past it to this day. You just see a big old missile sitting up there. Big old launcher. Bunch of old crumbling abandoned buildings. This was just the beach. This is the beach that we still go to, man. Sometimes you can see Bruce out there riding the lightning, trying to fire off one of those firecrackers. That's what he was doing out there when he was... Uh... He was out there. Right. So he got caught with a toolbox, bottle of tequila, a bunch of uh, Roman candles. Now, at least as of 2020, there was a former Nike missile site for sale in South Jersey, I believe when I looked, it was $1.8 million. And I'm not sitting here saying that that's not a lot of money. I, I'm not, I don't have $1.8 million to spare, but I, 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 it's less than I would think. It's less than I would think based on what you're getting for your money. Yeah, but is it like, is it not filled with water? Like, is it how deep? I need specs, man. I can't just let this go, hey, there's a silo there. Okay, let me look this up. Let me look this up for you, Nick. Um, this is from businessinsider.com. A Cold War missile base abandoned for decades is on sale in New Jersey for 1.8 mil. Uh, let's see. Woolwich Township. You know where Woolwich Township is? It was one of 12 built to protect Philadelphia. Nice. Woolwich. It's been, this site's been abandoned since 1974. Town bought it in 2009. Let's see. The U.S. responded to the launch of Sputnik 1 with 12 Nike missile bases built in Pennsylvania and South Jersey surrounding Philly. Wow. Project Nike was a U.S. military plan of more than 250 bases across the country using an anti-aircraft missile system named after the Greek goddess of victory. Very American. Woolwich Township bought it in 2009 for 828000 And uh, there's a launcher section, a radar section. They're only selling the radar section. That's above ground. So you don't get the actual missile launcher for your money, Nick. What? Jip. But these buildings, yeah, they're, I mean, very abandoned, very fucked up. I, I, I'm, I think it's fair to say these are teardowns. That's fucked up. The launcher section, which is not for sale, still has some missiles stored underground, though they are sealed. The hatches are at least 30 feet deep. 
Just still missiles? In it? I don't feel like they should be printing that in the fucking newspaper. Oh, shit. That's crazy. What? Yeah, maybe they should mitigate those. They're like, yeah, we're just going to store them in place. Full disclosure, the launcher area may also be contaminated with toxins. Not good. But Mike T, just like you said, they have great pictures on this site, too, of uh, the same thing. They have one of those missile magazine doors. And it's long, man. It's no joke. This is... For real. The Nike missile is like the ones that the base was armed with during the Cold War. Yeah. Property is made up of several structures, including barracks, a control room, a kitchen, a mess hall, and even an empty pool. Huh. I feel like there's worse places you could live, Nick. Yeah, definitely. If I had 1.8 mil, I'd love to live on an old base. I, I've been on a Zoom call at work, um, and one of the people was living in, in out west in what was formerly a, a nuclear missile silo cool. which had been converted into a very fancy very beautiful home oh my god that's awesome um and and this person was giving me a little bit of the the background on it uh he said that heating and cooling is a nightmare but everything else about it makes it a great place to live if you like being alone oh, i wonder why i think you might be able to do like some kind of geothermal cooling or something maybe i think yeah, yeah this this person was not not a but he's that air conditioning was a huge problem. Mm. Now, the town of Woolwich will be putting this uh, area on their sewer system to make it more attractive to buyers. Oh, there you go. They have they have plans where they're saying you could have you could have commercial properties, residential properties. Um, but I I kind of feel like that's a huge missed opportunity in in general, based on what this thing is. Let alone the fact that it's in South Jersey. Somebody should just buy this thing, leave it completely as is, and be running a paintball operation out of that, right? That seems like the ultimate paintball. I mean, it would be like real-life G.I. Joe. Oh. Yeah, come to a real Cold War missile site and live out your 80s fantasies. Yeah. Yeah, it's better than running through the woods, too, especially you get all these ticks down here. Most buildings on the 33-acre site are covered in broken pavement and glass, and some roofs are collapsing, Perfect. likely making them unsalvageable. So yeah. Okay, let the paintball get you sign a waiver. The ceiling, the ceiling fell on me. Well, that's what it's like in war, motherfucker. Sometimes the ceiling falls on you. Sign this paper. <laughs> and they do have those radar towers. They got those big radar towers, just like the ones they had up in Livingston. Well, there's a whole interesting cult around these, which we won't de- derail this show too much. But I know <laughs> when you talk to people that, you know, out in Montauk, they have Camp Hero, <laughs> and there's an entire really strange conspiracy cult around these different sites that that people talk about um and it's specifically these cold war era uh missile bases that they believe were a basically it used they actually weren't used for missiles they were used to send people back in time yes to try to alter the outcome of of current events a lot of it ties into the conspiracy theories about the philadelphia project if you know that i wrote about the montauk yes. project for weird new york oh wow um and I'll tell you this, too. I watched the first episode of Stranger Things, and I turned to Hallie, and I was like, this is just the Montauk stuff. This, they, they're just taking all the urban legends about the Montauk stuff. This whole idea wow. that they like kidnapped teenagers, and the teenagers could generate like monsters with their minds, and they were amplifying like psychic abilities of, of these teens. I was like, this is just the Montauk stuff. And I have a buddy... Um, who's another comedian who plays one of the cops on that show, one of like the, you know, second, third command, more comedic relief cops. And I texted him. I was like, dude, do you know if this is like based on the Montauk stuff? And he wrote back and said, well, if I remember right, the the original name of the pilot was Montauk. So Uh. I'm guessing, yeah. And they did, and all this stuff ties in. 
Um, you guys will also be happy to hear. Living out a fantasy we would have had as children. In Kansas, someone built one of these sites and made an 18,000 square foot partially underground castle. Nice. So maybe we could do that. I know we need some storage space in a new recording facility someday for New Jersey is the world. Maybe this is the way to do it. Woolwich. Where the fuck is Woolwich, New Jersey? I went to Woolwich, Woolwich, New Jersey. <laughs> Wait, what? The city's running wild. <laughs> Come to Woolwich, New Jersey. <laughs> the silos running wild. It's in Gloucester County. That's why. That's why I've never heard of it. I'm in Gloucester. Gloucester County. Gloucester. I wonder how long it takes to get there from my house. Um, we're talking about how the infrastructure of the Cold War did actually surround us. Towns like Livingston, Nutley in our case, East Hanover, and then all over. You know, you want to get down to the more central area of the state? Sandy Hook, right there. You're hearing about 12 of them spread throughout South Jersey and, and, and the Philly suburbs. We were physically surrounded by this. We were told we could die any given day. We were told it could be random and, and horrible. So we've talked about how the actual infrastructure um, is there and how the Cold War really did have an effect on our lives. Let's talk more about the psychological side of it, though. Living with this in our minds, I remember distinctly having one night where in school we were talking about the potential for Russians, nu- Russia- Russians nuking us. And I remember curling up into a ball on the floor at the foot of my parents' bed and sleeping there like that, um, like crying, like hyperventilating. I was probably 10 years old. Living like this, what do you think the effects were on uh, on the New Jersey youth of our generation? Need to suck it the fuck up. <laughs> Be ready for those fucking commies. Learn to love peanut butter. That's it? That's your reaction? Learn, learn how to turn everything into a weapon and be ready. That's it. But we we really curled in a ball crying about the Cold War. Come on, man. Yes. Get the fuck out yes. of here. I thought, nu- I thought a nuclear bomb was going to go. Christ, you should have been like a 10-year-old boy praying for fucking war. See, this is, I would argue, the, the illustrative completely of the psychic effect on our generation, which is it either turned people into me, which was like terrified emo kids riddled with anxiety and diarrhea issues because of the anxiety... <laughs> Or people like you who are like thoughtful, smart human beings who sit here praying for violence because we're being taught that we have to kill commies in the streets when they parachute from the sky, maybe this afternoon. Who knows? You're either going to live in fear or with this weird toughness slash like hyper-obsessive violence in you. Yeah, but you were doing the same thing. You started buying weapons that you don't need. But my question is, was that a good thing? Absolutely. No. It ensures, yeah, no, because we're still human beings. Everybody forgets. Um, fight or flight, whatever. <clears throat> One of the most interesting conversations I've ever had in my life is I, I became friends with, with a woman who I used to work with who, who is identical age to me and grew up in Soviet Russia. And, you know, we would have these conversations and... She would be like, "Well, what did Americans think of Russians?" And I would go through all the st- all the things that we were taught at this age. Like, well, we were told if you lived in Russia 
and you saw any kind of line, you should just get in that line and take out a plastic bag because they were that meant that they were the government was giving something away in that line and that you would, you know, you would want to get in that line and get it and that's what communism was. And and then she would laugh about that and, you know, say how basically her childhood was not that different than mine, right? It was just different different music and and different stuff. And I think that to me was the difference whereas we were molded in such a way that we just had no understanding of people who lived in other places in the world that had a different system of government we were just bred to hate them from from a young age which is very sad did she tell you what they thought of us yeah so the the biggest thing she said um and she said there's not a great american word for it or like a great translation but basically that that americans were sloppy that everything we did was sloppy and lazy and half-assed and that that was what they were taught. That basically like, oh, well, you know, Americans, they're lazy. They don't work hard. Everything they build is shoddy and terrible. They're all, they're all selfish. Everything falls apart. That was a perception that, that she was taught, that it was all just, just decadence and that we didn't care about our families. It, it was pretty pretty interesting to hear that from her. And Nick, how does that make you feel hearing that? in 2021 i'm so angry no um i mean what do you that's what that's what governments do to their people you know i'm a product of the uh propaganda machine you know i mean totally like i but i own it and love it and like you know being older and having perspective on things now it's like hey listen man all bets are not off there's still a lot of fucking nuclear weapons out there and a lot of motherfuckers that shouldn't have them so don't think this thing's fucking over yet. It only takes one asshole. Go watch Dr. Strangelove. That's my suggestion. Go watch Dr. Strangelove. Have a good laugh. But it's going to make you think a little bit. Speaking of movies, would you guys agree that there's a movie that was very, for people of our specific age, a movie that was very defining in a few different ways that was such a product of its times that I, I don't think it's talked about as a classic and we all thought it was going to be a classic forever. Can you guys find a way to state the impact that the movie War Games had on our lives? Because I would say it was immeasurable, personally. Well, that was the first time I encountered a computer modem, for sure, exactly. where you actually placed a physical handset onto this device. And I was like, oh, wow, computers can can talk to each other? That's That's pretty amazing. Between computer shit and communism shit, that yeah. movie... Hollowed Out Mountains. Weirdly defining for us. A fake Stephen Hawking, right? Wasn't there like a fake version of like some like scientist? I think it was just a nerdy guy that was running the Whopper. Remember the Whopper? <laughs> I remember. I just remember, uh, how about global thermonuclear war? How about tic-tac-toe? How about global thermonuclear war? Remember that? I remember thinking Matthew Broderick was kind of fucking being a tight ass because in my mind I was so young that I was like, why isn't he just being cool like Ferris Bueller? I didn't understand that like different movies have different characters and actors are allowed to do different things. Um, but yeah, man, War Games was like, was like that movie hit struck a chord, and I bet it does not hold up now. Well, it was pitched though too as, I mean. That was considered a, a, you know, a children's movie. And that was, I think, the first time a lot of us kids ever saw or were exposed to the threat of nuclear war was through war games, right? Because that was definitely a movie for kids. It was, I was not 10 years old when I saw a movie about a man who 
thinks he's playing a computer game and almost triggers nuclear apocalypse between ah. the United States and Russia. I was not 10. I can say that definitively. And the computer was the bad guy. Was he? Or was, was the computer um, more of a Godzilla where it's not necessarily a bad guy. It's like a force of nature that sorts out humanity's messes. Tough to say. Well, I mean, you know, a computer really just does whatever its instructions say. So, you know, ultimately the computer's programmer is the bad guy. But I don't think they gave him much screen time. Computer programmers were not getting much screen time in the early 80s. I think he was dead, right? Or no, his dead son? That's what it yes. was. His dead son's name was the password. Right. Goddamn, War Games. I'd be between Ferris Bueller, War Games, and Lady Hawk. Matthew Broderick really did... He really did strike a, a, a vast array of emotional tones that I would say between Lady Hawk and its impact on D and D kids, War Game, and the way it made us all kind of shit our pants as people who feared Russians, and Ferris Bueller being the coolest motherfucker in the room. Matthew Broderick's impact on the 1980s should not should not be undervalued. Should not be undervalued. Oh my God! Yeah, he's like one of the epic uh, epic uh, 80s actors for sure. So successful in the 80s that he was allowed to kill someone in Ireland and nobody did anything about it. Yeah, good for him. No, not good for him. Horrible oh, for sorry. the family. That's, Horrible that for don't the make family. him a bad guy. Carvel? Is that Tom Carvel? <laughs> no, that's everybody in America. That don't make oh, him a bad guy. God. I thought that was Tom Carvel. He killed somebody in Ireland. They, they probably deserved it. It's okay. <laughs> He's a good American. Is there any other media? Because we have talked a bunch about how the media was just omnipresently teaching us to hate Russians, either explicitly or not. Like, I actually, um, I remember when I was an American studies major in college, seriously considered writing um, a paper. I wanted to write a paper all about how between, I mean, G.I. Joe, it's obvious. That's just pure American military worship. But I think Transformers, Thundercats, um, he-Man even, it, it's all, there's ultimate good and ultimate evil, which side are you on? I think they are all clearly communist allegories, and I would be, I would not be shocked at all to find out that the government was paying some production costs to just say, teach kids that there's good and evil and that good has to win. Fuck communists. I mean, that's extremely clear. Your government supports PBS and good Cold War propaganda for children. Oh, they still do. They still a lot of a lot of pro war movies to this day. The government, the the American military has budgets to help fund Holly, actual Hollywood productions, like things you don't realize the military is kicking money in on. That's why they're so happy that all these shooting games have come out too, because it's just like the perfect trainer. Yeah, the perfect desensitizer. The earliest example that I was aware of of a Cold War movie that the government had serious a serious hand in was Top Gun, right? Uh, so that makes sense, yeah. And it, it, and I, I remember Tom Skerritt, rest in peace, um, good American. And I remember being obsessed with with Top Gun when I saw it because it was so cool, right? I mean, you know, Maverick and Goose, Sundown. They're flying the Tomcats. Yeah. They're landing on aircraft carriers. And of course, they're not only fighting Russian communists, they're also taunting them by giving them the middle finger while they're <laughs> flying fighter jets. Yeah. And I kept you know, talking about this to my family and saying how much I like the movie. And one of my uncles explained to me basically that this was propaganda, that 
you know, the, the government paid Hollywood and gave them access to all these Navy fighter jets and all the footage for this. And that was just one of dozens and dozens of movies. Basically, every movie we saw as a kid what about Iron was Eagle? to one degree. Or an Iron Eagle was a great one. Oh, my God. That's the I ultimate teenage that communist fighting fantasy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm going to go I'm gonna go there and rescue my dad. Who was even fighting in Iron Eagle, though? They were fighting, like, uh, Middle Easterners or something. Yeah, it was Middle Easterners. Or Iron Eagle felt like shitty Top Gun. Yeah. It felt like shitty Top Gun that was on cable eight times a day. Yeah, but Iron That's Eagle was cool. fucking good, man. There were a bunch of Iron Eagles, right? Yeah, yeah there really were multiple bad. Iron Eagles. Who was that? There yeah, was uh, Lou Gossett Jr.? Lou yeah. Gossett Jr. Yeah, God he was badass man. in the first one. He's like, I knew your father. And then he decides to go rogue. His character was J- Jaffe Ryder. Yeah. You listed yeah. a bunch of pop culture things from the back from back in the day. I love that you listed Yakov Shmirnoff. Oh, I yeah. Well, like, well, Chris, I wanted to actually take over the show for a moment when I wrote that and ask you as a professional comedian and comedy writer your opinions on Yakov Smirnoff. Um, it's funny because I mean he's clearly so many generations before me it's not like I've crossed paths with Yakov Smirnoff and there's certainly some guys from the 80s that are still around who I cross paths with and the ones who are I, I generally have great respect for because they've just been doing it for so long but you know Yakov Smirnoff um, kind of earned a lot of respect because I believe he owns his own comedy club in like in Missouri. Branson, Missouri. In Missouri. I'm not now. mocking. Yeah. I'm That's being awesome. dead serious. I am not mocking Yakov yeah. Smirnoff. For I'm, anybody who doesn't I'm remember him, legitimately, he was kind of like because I think he a novelty. Well, he really is Eastern European, but he was kind of doing like communist face. You could almost say right, like yeah. playing like a ridiculous caricature of a yeah of a of a Russian guy in Cold War America, and he made a lot of money doing it. But it was definitely like an Urkel esque level of like catchphrases and hamming like hamming to the camera and, and mugging and uh hamming it up rather but yeah he opened his own club in branson missouri and i think a lot of people were like fuck man like that's pretty enterprising go out there and get it i think comedians at the end of the day um it's kind of like pretty you know i think there is like a real respect for like hustle and sort of free enterprise and it's like if you can set something up let alone a club that like puts I think puts other people up too and like provides opportunities. More power to you. Now, as far as content goes, it's one of those things where you sit there, you go, how did that ever exist? And could it ever again? You know, like, but then you think, you go like, okay, Yakov Smirnov and Andrew Dice Clay and the shit Bobcat Goldthwait was doing. Like, there's a lot of stuff back then that was just like this insane one note lunacy. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's really weird to think about. I'm trying to think if there's anyone today who has like a modern version of an act like that. And I can't think of one. I can't think of what about like, um, what's maybe Larry, the cable guy. Uh, That guy's even not even the Larry, the cable guy anymore. But that's what I'm saying. Like in my lifetime, there was that of like, yeah, kind of like where there's shtick and, um, and the a other stick and a character to it, and it's a guy with a mustache. So the same guy who he always does the get her done guys. He wears the jacket. Oh, Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, that's it. That's it. He was. Yeah, maybe like, those guys. Maybe the blue collar comedy guys have a little bit of like we just boil it down to a to like a 
shtick, but I th you know, Ron White is a great comic, and Jeff Foxworthy, I think, certainly earned his stripes, and he found yeah. like Larry the Cable Guy's the closest, where you're like, that guy's real name is like Doug or something like that, and he's just like a dude who like, you know, shops at fucking Costco and drops his kids off to school, and then at night yeah. puts on the fucking sleeveless denim and starts going ape shit as a fake character. So there's some stuff like that, but man, Yakov Shmirnov, that what a weird th his life must have just been fucking hell. Signing off. Did he have a movie though at some point, or was that a, somebody else pretending? He did to be have like a movie. I think he did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It manifested yeah. into a. But that was also the era of like Police Academy when shit was. You could just speak. Comedy was completely fucking insane looking back. And then there's that weird, weird phase when like everybody's trying to make like Russians and Americans realize that like okay maybe the Cold War's coming to an end. That it tried to be like this peacemaking between Russian and the United States. Maybe that was Maybe like Yakov Barishnikov sent yeah. there to heal. Barishnikov showed up. Mike, did you also listed in it? It made me laugh so hard. God damn it! The world of professional wrestling is just so <laughs> fucked up, and it's just it's just true carny. Make a buck quick because we're leaving town tomorrow anyway. And how much danger do you think Nikolai Volkov was in on any given night, especially when he was touring the South? I have nothing against wrestling, but I haven't watched it in. 25 years but as a kid i loved it and i can tell you as a child i had a legitimate hatred for nikolai volkov i thought that i actually thought he was a no good communist and i wanted him dead and out of the country that's because you're and the iron American sheik like, as well and that's how like i think i'm sure that he couldn't walk out he couldn't go to a hotel bar probably unless right without being attacked by people and he wasn't russian do you know that he was Czech. No. He was Czech. Aww. He was not Russian. Same, same thing, commie lover. He was just a guy with an Eastern European accent who realized Vince McMahon or somebody along the way was like, you could make so much fucking money if you refuse to wrestle unless they sing the Soviet national anthem first. You get a bunch of fucking two-thirds drunk wrestling fans in an arena in fucking Greensboro, North Carolina, and you force them to sing the Russian national anthem in 1984? He must have made so much fucking money, but he must have been in danger at all times. And he also wore, like, I mean, he really played it up. He wore a furry <laughs> Russian hat and a mm -hmm. red leotard. And Brought the flag was, down to the ring with him. Yeah. Him versus Axel Jim Duggan, baby. Yes. Uh, but wrestling's been doing that scumbag shit. Wait, wait you know, you know the Van, the Von Erich family, who are like the Texas wrestling family, and all the kids died tragically. Yes, you know their dad, Fritz Von Erich. His uh, what, what's their real name? His, his real name was like Jack Adkinson. <laughs> he was just a straight up Nazi in the fifties. He was just a bad guy wrestler. His thing was, yeah, I, I'm a Nazi and I don't apologize for it. And the Nazis were right, and I survived. And fuck you, I'm Fritz Von Erich. I'll hit you with the Iron Claw, bitch. <laughs> Like, that was his thing, man. Like, and all of them, man. Mr. Fuji, his whole thing was just like, yeah, I'm Japanese. And that's my bit. I'm Japanese, so you should hate. I'm a sneaky, devilish Japanese man who will cheat to win, much like uh, Pearl Harbor. So the derby hat. Yeah, man. And, like, the Red little flower. Wrestling will go to any fucked up length to just make a dollar, right? To just get somebody to be so pissed off they'll spend more money to watch you die. Uh, it's, wrestling it might be the best art form there is. Yeah, Nikolai, Nikolai Volkov was... He he grew up in... Cro oh, not even Czech. He grew up in Croatia. Ah, former... Oh, it doesn't matter. He grew up in Croatia. 
His brother was a professional soccer player. All former commies. He was on the Yugoslavian weightlifting team until 1967. So he was old when he was wrestling. Oh, yeah. He was, he was really old. He was really old. Strong like bull. He arrived in the States in 1970. Let's see. Wait. A fellow Croatian native played the first Soviet Volkov character in American wrestling. Steve Gobb, born Gobkrovich, wrestled as Russia's Nikolai Volkov in the 1960s. There, there were multiple Nikolai Volkovs. Jesus. You know what that means? That at the end of tonight's show, whoever loses the game has to become the next Nikolai Volkov. Oh my God! I'm already the there. Thing. We should do that. We should do that tonight. We should just do a nice, simple game, and whoever loses at one of our live shows when we start doing live shows again has to start the show by singing the Soviet national anthem. Done. I think that that's a great way to do it. I think that's a great way to do it. The new Nikolai Volkov, Nikolai Nikolai Bonaduchov. <laughs> I could do it. Give, I'll, I'll pretend to be a commie. I'll draw the heat. Better dead than red. Better dead than red. Kill a commie for your mommy. Also catchphrases that we were drilled into our heads as children. <laughs> Better dead than red was. We all knew that from the start. That was also the ultimate insult um, <clears throat> for Cold War kids. Like, basically calling someone a communist was, you know, that those were fighting words. We're, throw, we're throwing down. You fucking commie. But when you were a kid, did you have any concept of what being a communist actually was? No. Like, as far as an economic system, it's flawed and has failed over an organ. So yes. I'm not going to say I'm a communist, but I, I go, oh, this idea that, like, everybody tries to take care of each other, like, okay. Like, none of us understood what communism was. We just thought that they were psychopaths who wanted to kill us, so we had to kill them. All we knew was that they had to stand on line for food and they didn't regularly have toilet paper. And as Americans, we know one thing. We need to have toilet paper. And they wanted our jeans. They wanted our jeans. Yeah, they so wanted bad. our jeans. They didn't our blue jeans that. and our Beatles records. All you Those ever things had. were right? There were that was a TV trope about communism. Jordash jeans. And American cigarettes, yes. Remember you would there were I remember very specifically an episode of I don't. Uh, do you remember Head of the Class? Yes. Oh, of course. Ethan Su- one of Ethan Suplee's great non-Mallrats roles. Who's Ethan Suplee? <laughs> the guy who's trying to see the fucking schooner in Mallrats. He was, I believe, he was in Head of the Class. I believe. Let me double check this. Did he play Dennis Blunden? Let me see. Let me look this up. He would be like 12 years old then or five years old when that was on. Head of the Class had that, that big fat kid that used to sit in there and eat all the time. That was a different kid with the curly hair. Yeah, D- Dennis Blunden was the the guy who would sit by the computer. And there was an episode where they take an exchange student trip to Russia and they fill their luggage with Beatles records and blue jeans and they bring them to Russia and they get caught. And I think that was a pretty common TV trope in the 80s. Let me check out. Now I'm going to go nuts thinking about this, wondering if uh, I might be wrong on that. I might be wrong on that. I don't, I think I may have been wrong. Different, um, different heavyset actor of that era. Different heavy set. Yeah, so much fucking anti-communism stuff. So let's bring it back to New Jersey. Being within spitting distance of Manhattan. <laughs> Understanding implicitly. <laughs> I mean, what you just did, Nick, sums it up. As children, literally we were taught to be resigned to death at a moment's notice. And I'm not exaggerating. We knew from from the jump 
today might be the day where a bomb explodes and kills me and my whole family, and we're done. <laughs> Nick, you you have maintained tonight that you feel like it gave you certain things that you like. I have expressed major hesitation. Mike, D, you've been you've been biting it, biting your tongue on this. The damage it did, the positives, the negatives. Growing up in an area of the world during an era in history where we did, from kindergarten, first grade, vaguely understand that communists were bad and implicitly understand that today could be the day we die. The effects, the long-lasting effects that you feel still sit in your gut today. It took me decades to unwind that violent streak inside of me that was instilled by that fear. Decades. Because I think if you, if, if you hold the constant fear of instant annihilation over a child into their adulthood, every one of your thoughts, like you don't really have a choice, is going to be pointed towards survival mechanism. And at some point you realize that that threat is not quite as real anymore, but it still takes you a long time to not see everything as a threat. That's my my take on that. And I think it's it's better that we don't, you know, teach kids that they're going to be annihilated because honestly, if you are going to be annihilated, there's nothing you can do to stop it. So you might as well not damage entire generations of kids by putting this on them on their like 7-year-old selves. You know what's weird though? It's like, okay, so we had the threat of the Cold War, kids had the threat of like terrorism, right? I'm much more comfortable with a threat of having to worry about a nuclear missile coming out of the sky or, or Russians falling out of the sky, then having to worry about this, they've created like the perfect enemy, this like invisible terrorist that's out to get you as Americans. And they're going to go to places and blow up dirty bombs or fly planes into buildings and use non-conventional methods of warfare against you. And it's like, it's better than the cold war idea. It doesn't cost as much. But you can still like siphon tons of tax money off towards your causes and stuff like that. So I feel bad for our kids because maybe they're just numbed or just don't really understand what terrorism can be. Um, but I don't know. I think I'd rather them be afraid of like commies coming out of the sky than terrorism. I hate it. I hate that we were raised to live in fear in so many ways. Doing this podcast has actually allowed me to connect so many dots that maybe were obvious, but between. The fucking kidnapping and the satanic panic and telling us there were clowns in vans who would kidnap us and every fucking apple you ever got on Halloween had a razor blade inside it <laughs> and the people, you, you never know who's a fucking secret communist and all this shit. I do not know why we were asked to live in fucking fear every minute of every day. I hate it. I want nothing more than for my son to not live in a constant cycle of fear. Uh, I think about my mom. My mom was born in 1948, lived in North Jersey her whole life. So from 1948 until the fucking Berlin Wall came down, that was just their reality through adulthood. I There is a part of me that goes, okay, because it came down in what, 89, 90, 91, something like that? 91. Yeah. 91. Like, so we were still young enough that... We had a few joyous years that cross over with high school and college where it's like, all right, I guess now everybody's going to fucking like rollerblade and do ecstasy and shit. Like, I bet if you look at the ludicrousness of the 90s, so much of it's like, oh, the Cold War's over. Everybody fucking put on a fanny pack and do some designer drugs. Let's go, man. Like, it's extreme. That's a good observation because 
That's a really good observation, Chris, because the, the first thing that happened in Berlin after they took the wall down legitimately was the people in East and West Berlin just started opening illegal nightclubs together and having 3,000 person dance parties that lasted for days. I mean, that's an actual phenomenon that happened. And I think that you probably saw localized versions of that in any place where people had been living under this cloud of the cold. You know, I mean, it lasted from 45 to 91. That's a long time. That's multiple generations. Then, and then the nineties, there's that brief stretch where it was like, there might be hope. Well, and I hate to tie it in to something else super dark that we lived in constant fucking fear. Another thing, oh, after all the other shit I named too, also the AIDS crisis, just and con, I mean, it is impossible to describe to anyone who was not alive during that the level of hysteria that until Ryan White and fucking Pedro from the real world put human faces on it. That shit was the scariest thing in the entire world to us. Then you got Magic Johnson, who I'm not even trying to make a joke. I'm like laughing. This is a dark joke. Where it's like all of a sudden, Michael, all of a sudden, Magic Johnson is like, this is one of the most famous people in sports. And it's like, oh, I guess he, I guess AIDS isn't like as big a deal anymore because it was the biggest deal. Another thing we live in fear of. So all of a sudden, it's like the Cold War is gone. I mean, it was like a genocide for. You know, uh, oh, entire generations of gay communities. Man. I, that, I am yeah, not that trying it, to discount it. I, I'm, what yeah, I'm, I, I yeah, hope I what, we, I, I hope yeah. what this is reading as is more. I look back and I, especially for people our age, where it's like, yeah, we hadn't even hit puberty yet, so we were taught that, like, you know, beyond being raised in a section of the country that has such an influence of like Catholicism from all the different Catholic communities that already are anti-sex, and then you've got the AIDS crisis, and then you. I'm hoping that it's like reading as as oppressive and fucked up as i think it is oh it's terrible really awful the the fact that that epidemic happened let alone how it was treated and people were treated but all of a sudden it's like all right like the cold war's over i guess we're not gonna get nuked i guess aids is survivable thanks magic johnson um there's this new drug called ecstasy Everybody's really into fucking neon and slap bracelets. I guess we'll just spend a couple of years fucking partying our fucking heads off or something. I guess we'll just do that. And it's pretty cool. We only had a, a, a minor recession to deal with back then. Yeah, but we were too young to give a shit about that. <laughs> my parents, my father live in the grip of eternal economic fear. <laughs> Not that I was doing ecstasy in high school, but I'm just glad that we were there when the clouds lifted and we were still young enough to get a little bit of that before... Right, you hate to say it because Nick, you brought up nine yeah. eleven. It's like, man, then they replaced it with terrorism, and now another reason to like give up freedom. Yeah, live in fear, and we got that middle ground. That's pretty nice. Yeah, Cold War was gone. We couldn't we couldn't ride that thread anymore. Ninety one through two thousand one. That was our high school and uh, college times, and I'm glad. I feel happy. Yeah, at least we had a little fun, right? Before everybody ruined everything again. A little bit of fun, man. Fun a little bit. Assholes. These assholes. People gotta ruin everything. Now they got cameras everywhere. But at least there's not missile sites. Interwebs. And at least there's not missile sites now in the backyards of New Jersey residents. I'd feel a little better if there were. You think so? Yeah. I want like a fucking 20 megaton fucking Trident missile fucking right next to my house. Because <laughs> when that baby goes off, I know. Ride the lightning, motherfucker. <laughs> 
Seriously. Like, yeah, we're good. We got a missile in our town. We're fine. It's a volunteer missile service. They yeah. set off a siren and people from the town go and operate the missile. Put on your, put on your missile hat and you run over to the silo. Yeah, you put on a special hat. With your non-sparking shoes. You make sure your shoes don't spark. You don't blow anything up. A couple things that showed up in the outline. I want to just make sure we get to them. Um, Rowan University, formerly known as Glassboro State College, was the site of, bizarrely, a meeting between Lyndon B. Johnson and the Russian uh, leader at the time, um, Soviet Premier Alexei Kozijin. Wow. In 1967, during the Israeli-Arab Six-Day War, they met, and there was all this jockeying of where it should be. And for some reason, Glassboro, New Jersey, became the place. There's funny articles on that, another New Jersey... uh, Link to the Cold War. And then, Mike D., you listed so many things um, media-wise that were related to the Cold War that I didn't even put together half of these. Um, so many songs, like, and songs I love, like Melt With You by Modern English. Yeah, it's two people in love who are getting incinerated by a nuclear weapon. Yeah. We should make a playlist of all these to share with people. Yeah, that's cool. Everybody Wants to Rule the World? I thought oh, that was man. just like a really fun new wave song. No. But I guess it's right there in the title. Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I mean, another one, a really intense one, is Breathe by Kate Bush. Um, that's a really intense song. and, and Oh, the one... Oh, is that the one about the... She's more or less like speaking to an unborn child who's going to be like you know coming into this world of 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 nuclear nuclear destruction um and that you have to bring up on a lighthearted note winds of change by the scorpions right here right now by jesus jones that's another one that's just like a poppy new wave song well i think this speaks to the entire topic we're talking about is all the if you all these pop songs that all of us love right Right here, right now, you know, I'll melt with you. They're actually all completely filtered and come from this place of people who grew up under the threat of Cold War (laughs) nuclear destruction, and it comes out, right? I mean, what about Ask from the Smiths, right? If it's not love, then it's the bomb that will bring us together. It's really... Every Day is Like Sunday by Morrissey, right? That's like apparently based on On the Beach, which I don't know if you guys have ever read that book, but it's an incredible book, it, you know, about like the end of the world. Like bombs have already gone off and there's just like a few people waiting for the radiation to come kill them. It's a great, great novel. Oh man, awesome. And then you, of course, listed one of the biggest ones. <laughs> and I would say a pop culture defining movie of our youth, like up there with... Star Wars, Goonies, Ghostbusters, Rocky Four. Rocky Four. It's if when you lived through it, Rocky One was Rocky One, two and three were fine. Rocky Four for kids our age caught new momentum. And that is all that is all Cold War bullshit. Ivan Drago, I will break you. You can distill He is like a piece of iron. This, you can distill all this down to that training sequence in Rocky Four, which is they show Ivan Drago, who's the Russian boxer, and he's training in this, for the 80s, incredibly high-tech Russian gym where he's hooked up to electrodes and they're monitoring all things and he's like running so fast and punching so hard that he's breaking the machines. And then the converse of the training montage is they show Rocky good American from Philadelphia and he's somewhere in Siberia and his training is he's like 
he's pulling his his trainer like and other logs. people in a wagon cart right he's lifting logs and stones to be like we're Americans. We don't need all this fancy equipment to beat you, Russia. All we need is good American gumption and grit and Urgh. lifting Paulie as I drag him in a cart around Siberia. <laughs> and where's the American flag shorts? Hey, Rock, I got you laid for the first time with a pregnant chick. You don't have to worry about getting her pregnant. Now you drag me to Siberia and put me in a cart and make it cold out. Our childhood is, if you if you took the training montages from Rocky... And set them at the exact spot where Route 46 meets Route 3. That's kind of just our childhood in a nutshell. Just a nutshell right there. That's it. Yeah, and at, at that corner, you have like Patrick Swayze and C. Thomas Howell holding Kalishnikovs waving at you at the intersection. And that's yeah. that pretty much something. And there's up. plenty of road debris to make weapons out of on the side of the road just in yeah. case you have to defend yourself impromptu. And Fountain's Way. It's a battle for Fountains of Wayne. And that's it. If there's anything worth defending, it's Fountains of Wayne. It is. Now, we've got the random number generator. We have discovered tonight that whoever is the loser of this game will have to sing the Soviet national anthem to begin one of our New Jersey's The World Live shows at House of Independence in lovely Asbury Park. Nikki Bonaduce, one, two, or three? Uh, I'll take two because it's not a commie number. <laughs> and why are odd numbers com- communist exactly? They just are. Okay. This means Mike D. Because there's somebody left out, and that person left out is the worker. Yeah. Oh. Mike D, number one or number three? Number three. Hit him with the three-piece. And remember, we play elimination style, so we spin twice. So if your number comes up, you are safe, and you do not have to. So wait, so Mike, you picked three? We get to see this thing? Um, three. No. Um, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to have to trust me. Oh, my God. Okay. Nick, tell me when. Now. Okay, number two is safe. So I believe, Nick, that's you. You're safe. So it comes down to number one. Oh, man. Or three. Um, Mike T, tell me when to stop. Stop. Hit two again. I'm going to start again. Tell me when to say stop. Stop. <laughs> Number one. So I so believe that Mike means T. That I will dress as Nikolai Volkov. I don't know how you're going to sing that. It's hard. <laughs> Mike T, the one who we should also say, probably the one who's, uh, you're not. Not necessarily a fan of kicking off a show by yourself at, at House of Independence, let alone I think singing the Soviet national anthem. I'm not necessarily a fan of even interacting with with people. <laughs> I'll I'll sing it with you. I'll go sing it with you. I'm gonna dress like one of those folky like Russian people. We should just do that. I'm gonna dress like C. Thomas Howell from Red Dawn and do it. That'll make me feel okay. As long as it's not C. Thomas Howell from Soul Man, there's, there's a movie that would never get made today. You think they'll let me bring an AK-47 in there? No. Oh, okay. Please don't bring an AK-47. I have one, and I have it. Look, I put like Russian wood on it and everything. It looks like the real commie deal. Please don't bring an AK-47 to House of Independence. It's actually a Russian AK-47, which is even better. <laughs> Well, it's like as if we actually <laughs> killed the Russians, got their AK-47, and now we have it. So it makes us even more American. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll uh, see you at the House of Independence someday. Keep your uh, your eyes, your your ears open for info on those shows because this anthem will be sung. Thanks to everybody who signs up at the Patreon. Everybody who buys T-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash Chris Gethard. You fellas have a good night and uh, rest easy knowing that the bo- the bombs won't be falling anymore. It's the bomb. If it's not love, then it's the bomb that will bring us together. <laughs>